Would you like for me to tell you a little joke? Yes? Are you laughing now? Welcome to episode 26 of Embrace the Suck, the only official licensed, sanctioned, tax-dodging podcast of APG bringing you two cents worth of free perspective on the heavy-hitting lifestyle. I'm your host, Bill Hart, coming to you almost live, this time from Sacramento, where California State Assembly members are floating a first in the nation, a wealth tax that they're looking to impose on rich people in California, which, at least when I lived there, was definitely not me. So according to this article, AB... I guess that's Assembly Bill 2088, would implement a 0.4% tax on residents whose net worth exceeds $30 million, or $15 million for couples who file jointly. So again, to be clear, this isn't like a tax on how much you made in a year. This is a tax on like, hey, how much money do you have? Give me some of that, all right? An assembly member based in Oakland went on to suggest that the taxes were needed as a way to generate revenue instead of just relying on austerity measures to fund California's not unsubstantial number of programs. Again, the idea there, I suppose, is that hey, instead of just saving money, we need to actually bring some more money in so that we can pay for things that we... Yeah... What's interesting then is at the same time, the California Teachers Association is pushing for support on Assembly Bill 1253, which would institute a tax of 1% on people making over a million dollars, 3% on people making over $2 million, and an additional 3.5% on people making over $5 million. So what I guess is interesting to me is that it's not that they're going to go after people who have a lot of money, and it's not that they're going after just what looks like a fairly small amount. I guess the thing that I guess a lot of people are important is that this kind of opens a Pandora's box of, hey, if we just decide you have too much money, we're just going to come by and take some of it. But we'll all sign our names on something so it'll be legal and you won't feel like you're getting robbed. And I have no doubt that this is contributing to why a lot of businesses and former residents, me included, are leaving California like uh, like never before. But not all is lost, however, because these bills apparently specify that the real estate value would not figure into the net worth calculation because real estate is already taxed at a higher rate in California. So like I talked about on, on one of our previous podcasts, I grew up in California and uh, I mean, I, I thought it was, it, it was great. It was great when I lived there. Um, but watching it turn into what's basically a flea market with a really high admission fee, it, it, I mean, it kind of hurts. It's kind of a drag. And what can you say about California that hasn't already been said about being shanked in prison, right? Like, I mean, I already have problems. This is not at all what I asked for, and it hurts a lot more than I thought it would. So this California tax situation actually kind of rolls nicely into the weekly beard update because it reminded me of something that I had read about a while ago, and that was the Russian beard tax that was instituted under Peter the Great. So in uh, 1697, Peter the Great, who, as you shall see, might or might not be as great, took a uh, took a tour around Europe, a little European tour, looking at different ways to modernize Russia, sort of bring Russia into the, I don't know, what would that be, like the 17th century? Like, I want to start the 18th century off with a bang. Let's Let's get cracking. So he met with Isaac Newton, met with King William III, and uh, looked at Manchester 
and discussed various ideas for city planning, how to have a city laid out in a way that, that benefits, you know, conceptually the citizens. And um, after he finished his trip, he got, you know, I don't know what, back on his steamship or sailboat or giant horse or whatever they used to move around in Russia and immediately came back to Russia and demanded that everybody shave. Everybody has to shave. So I don't know where the logic is in that. Like the guy just came home and decided, that's it. Everyone shaves. Okay, cool. Is that what they're doing in England? I don't know. But the uh, Russian Orthodox Church immediately protested and quoted none other than Ivan the Terrible, who said that shaving the beard is a sin that the blood of all the martyrs would not wash away. It would mean blemishing the image of a man as God has created him. So apart from being an interesting political argument, I mean, uh, this is probably the first time I would have imagined finding myself siding with an Ivan the Terrible over someone called a Peter the Great. But that's where we are, right? So people wanted to keep their beards, apparently, and it's cold in Russia, right? There's probably a warmth factor here. Uh, but people wanted to keep their beards, maybe some of the women included. I don't know. I don't know. I've never been there. But uh, people wanted to keep their beards, so uh, a beard tax was imposed, and people paid up to 100 rubles for a token that you had to carry with you with uh, an image of a little beard and the words tax paid. And it does make you kind of wonder, like, what if you forgot your beard token one day? But I guess people probably didn't go too far from home at the time. So it's not like you would see, you know, a different constable or whatever they call them in in Russia, polizai or, or whatever. It's not like you would see a different law enforcement individual and uh, say, hey, where's your where's your little beard token? Like you forgot it that day, so what, do they escort you to the barber? I, I don't know. I don't know. But, I mean, if you ask me, I would want to speculate that um, his biggest lesson on this European tour was not about city planning or modernization, but more about just taxing people. And maybe the lesson there is like, hey, if you take their money, they'll work harder, and then you'll have even more money to spend on hats or whatever. But enough of that. Let's get into the the topic for the week. Topic for the week, rolling with a black belt. So I'm going to talk about the the, the very few times that I had a chance to roll with a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. And I kind of got introduced to uh, grappling arts uh, when I was 15. So when I was 15, there was a wrestling uh, team at the high school I was at. And I got involved in that, and I enjoyed it. It was cool. Um, Doesn't mean I didn't suck at it. but, uh, you know, I did it anyway, it's, and it's a good intro to uh, truly vigorous exercise. And actually, that was kind of probably one of the little pathways that got me into the military and that whole thing. A lot of the guys that, uh, that I was on the wrestling team with enlisted in the Marine Corps and would try to get on the national team there. And I knew I wasn't good enough to get on any national team. But, um, but lucky me, I ended up being a frogman later on. Anyway, so back to this jujitsu thing. So I first saw this, uh, you know, pretty much like everybody else did in 1994 when the, the UFC thing came out. And I only read like years later, maybe, you know, a few years ago, that that thing was almost like an infomercial for Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Like it's, and it's, it's a very effective system and all, but they kind of put this thing together to kind of demonstrate. They're like, hey, watch what this guy, watch what this skinny guy can do to this giant guy. Watch this. But it, uh, it made an impression and, and, and the whole thing took off and, um, in the teams, guys are always, you know, there's it's 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 a hands-on job. What do you want? So there's there's going to be some training on this kind of thing, and uh, you know you you pick up a few things, 
choking people out and so on. But apart from just choking people out, I never really got much chance to dive into that until after I had retired. And um, stepping into it, I was like, yeah, this seems pretty cool. Like, how hard could it be, right? Good way to stay in shape. And plus, you get to choke people. And the idea of it is simple enough. You're basically going for a position and then getting control and then submitting by either manipulating a joint in a way that hurts so much that the other person gives up or by choking them, well, to a point where they know they're going to pass out or by just choking them unconscious and then you won. So like if you've never tried it out, I mean, it's a good time. It actually is a real good time. And when you very first walk in there, everybody knows that people just walking in, you're not going to know what you're doing. You, you're going to make a fool of yourself and it's okay because everybody made a fool of themselves the very first time. So everybody's really accommodating. And that seems like a community wide thing with that, uh, with that scene, which is nice. But after you're around it a little while, people refer to it as mutually consensual attempted murder, because that's basically what it is. I'm going to try to choke you unconscious where if I held on to this, you would die, but we're both going to be sports about it and, and not take it to that length. So in that way, it's kind of, it's kind of ironic, but it's still pretty fun. But when I very first tried this and I'm thinking like, yeah, I wrestled before. How hard could this be? And the very first time I had gone to like a proper training session of this, this dude puts me in the, the gi, right? Like the, how do you say, like the karate looking uniform, right? Like the martial arts uniform, like the, the robe and pants looking deal. And the idea of that is kind of to simulate your regular clothes because these are things that you can use. But if you went in there with your regular clothes, your clothes would get torn up. So these things are designed not to not to tear. But uh, the first time I tried this, I mean, it's like it's like swimming in peanut butter is what it feels like. Like you get one of these dudes that really knows what they're doing, and you know you're just kind of going up there. And even you got some wrestling experience. I mean, I had a good bit of wrestling experience when I had gone in there, and uh, like this dude just gets a hold of like one sleeve, and gets a hold of you by your shirt by your collar and like whoop, and now it's like you can't move it's like you're swimming in peanut butter you feel like one of those mice or something on one of those little glue pads or something like i can't move i can't get away and it's not a good deal but it was at a place in uh out in san diego there down in imperial beach there's a lot of cool guys there so i got to roll with some really decent guys and uh the guy that runs the place this guy professor bryce shepherd now you'll notice that a lot of these guys guys that teach this they'll they'll go by professor and it seems it seems silly if you haven't been in there, but unless you've gotten out there with somebody that's like basically looks just like you, like this guy's in shape, I'm in shape. What what's the big difference here? And you really go in there thinking that you know if I put out an effort, you know I make a, a good showing. This guy's going to extend me a little bit of respect. And so I get out there with this guy. This guy's about 180 pounds. He's a little bit younger than me. And uh, this guy apparently had won like kickboxing titles in Thailand, uh, had trained judo in Japan, and had taught Brazilian jiu-jitsu in Brazil. So this guy knows what he's doing. So I get out here with this guy, and you know, and I'm thinking like that. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll make a good effort. I'll put out hard and uh, make a good impression here. So I get at it with this dude, and this guy is moving like in slow motion. Like you're sitting there, and I mean... It seems almost childish, but you walk into one of these places and they'll start you like just sitting. Just be seated or be on your knees and now you you two start grappling. Start trying to choke each other. Start trying to mangle each other. All right? Because if you start standing up, somebody's going to get chucked through a wall and, and you won't like it. So, you know, I'm kind of, you know, approaching this like, all right, now how do I what, get a hold of this guy? What am I doing here? And while you're thinking of 
what can I do? How can I kind of go about this? This dude slowly moving like like in slow motion and wrapping you up like a mental patient in a straitjacket. And then the next thing you know, the lights are going out. You're like, well, how, how did that happen? You're like, God, that won't happen again. You won't get lucky like that. Now the guy's doing like a cartwheel over you. And now the dude's like somehow choking you with like one hand or the dude's choking you with a leg or something. You're like, how? And it's, it's like frustrating, but it kind of sets your mind straight in the sense that you could walk in there thinking that I'm going to just apply more strength and that's going to get me a better result. So in a way it's like, so it's like you're using a hammer. You're not getting the result you want. So you think you're going to reach for a bigger hammer, but when all you really needed was a screwdriver. So by the time you get it through your head that like, Oh, the bigger hammer is not always the solution. Maybe I just reach for a screwdriver. I reach for the proper tool. This guy's coming at you with like screwdriver, wrench, pliers. This guy's got all kinds of things and you're just kind of this dunce with a hammer. Like, I just hit harder. I can win. So that was my first experience rolling with a black belt. My second experience was after I had been doing this for, you know, maybe a year or so. But this was much, much worse. So I got a chance to go to another gym, and this was this was also in San Diego. And in San Diego, there are more than a few jujitsu gyms, and I mean, you almost can't throw a rock without hitting a world champion, like a legit, like hardcore world champion. So I get in here with this guy. This guy's name's Baruch Fajaya, and I'm probably mangling the guy's name because I can't do it like the, with the Portuguese thing how they how they talk. But so I get a chance to roll with this guy, and the guy basically gets out there and it's like he just woke up from a nap and he just kind of like you do the little slap bump thing and then the dude just kind of lays on his back and waits and like just that 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 and like the closer you get now he's like trying to like he's, his feet are almost like hands like grabbing you by the leg and like whoa wow oh, the guy's not really even touching you yet and I'm almost falling down. So the next thing you know you just kind of like whoop the dude's kind of tripped you and you land right where his elbow is waiting to choke you out. And then, the, so the dude just kind of toys with you a little bit. I mean, the best way you could describe it is as a combination of exhaustion and frustration. And then the dude will give you a little hint of like, you put your arm like this, this is why you'll get choke, you know, and give you like a little hint here or there. But it's those little, little things that make you realize that what seems like something that should be so simple that doesn't seem that complicated is really extremely detail oriented. So from there, I get bumped down to, uh, you know, gen pop really where I'm getting not crushed, but worked over by basically skinny dudes and teenagers and guys that have been doing this for a long time. I guess a way that a normal person can kind of get a feel for it is go to the nearest wall and just kind of put your arm against the wall like you're doing a push up and lock your arm out with your palm flat against the wall. And now slowly start inching your hand downwards with your elbow still locked. And that feeling that you get in your wrist, when it starts to hurt, stop doing that. But that feeling that you get, imagine that as like a surprise times 10. And that's how these things are happening. And it, you don't even see it coming and you just go, ah, that hurts. And that's kind of what you're getting like day after day that you go in here until finally you start figuring out kind of the nuts and bolts of how this all works. But so what's the point of all this? Why am I talking about all this? Because when you walk into a thing like this, it's just a flat level padded surface. And it's just two people, usually of roughly the same size, with exactly the same limiting factors. No real external factors. There's not anybody, you know, nobody woke you up in the middle of the night to come do this. Nobody starved you prior to doing this. Nobody surprised you that like, hey, you got to do this in 10 minutes. 
very clear rules and expectations. You know exactly what's cool and what's not. You know exactly what you're trying to do. You know what they're trying to do to you. But still, so much depends on knowledge and experience. Like if you walk in there not knowing that you know literally nothing and somebody that looks exactly the same as you is just going to mangle you without walking in there knowing that, you are already at a monster disadvantage. And even going in there knowing that you're at a huge disadvantage, it does not matter. Because you could try to stay back, scooch this way just a little bit, just a little bit. That one second you slip up, you get worked, and now you're going to sleep. And at the end of the day, you're just not going to be able to compete with a black belt without being a black belt, which means you got to walk that same road. So how does this apply to everyday life? And more importantly, how does this apply to all the weirdness that's going on in the world right now? Because as we can see, the Chinese curse has come to pass and we are definitely living in interesting times, right? And there's no end of talk about what's going on on the news and how honest are these people being and which of the things that I'm seeing is actually a distraction from some other thing and who can be counted on and who is lying and who is not and who's actually on the same side but pretending they're not and all of these things. Trying to make sense of the world around us right now is like rolling with a black belt. You are outmatched. There is not a way for you to look at this situation and have any kind of a grasp on what is actually going on. Like even when I was working on the classified side and even when I'm working hand in hand with CIA, I could look at things on the news, things that I didn't have any firsthand knowledge of, and I could kind of get a grip on like, okay, well, that doesn't sound quite right because I know about this over here and that over there. So this is probably tilted a little bit this way, but I don't really know for sure. And this is even when you're neck deep in a lot of this stuff. So now being on the outside, the best I can really do is look at this and say, I have no idea what's going on. So in that sense, I'm kind of like a black belt in that world that's just not not training, not competing, not doing anything in that realm anymore and haven't for like 10 plus years. But what does that mean for the average person in their day-to-day life? Well, here's the reality of it. People have been governed, people have been ruled since the dawn of time. Most of the time, most of the people don't have any say about what their day is going to look like. There's always somebody somewhere telling them what they can or cannot do. Sometimes those people in charge are like Richard the Lionhearted. And sometimes those people are like Peter the Not-So-Great, who wants to tax you just for having a beard. And on top of that, as the Chinese curse would have it, right now we live in a time where people aren't even really honest with you about the fact that you might not have as much of a say in the way that you are governed as you think you do. Because I very seriously doubt that there are any citizens of California who said, hey, you know what we should probably do? We should probably start taxing people just for whatever they have. Because where does that go? That means it just comes right down the chain and we're starting at 15 million and it's going to be 10, then five, then one, then pretty soon you're going to jail for shooting the king's deer, right? So what can you do? What can you do? Well, you can do what every one of your ancestors did back since the dawn of civilization. You can do the best you can. Because like I wrote about during the tip of the week, whether it's fires, floods, hurricanes, invaders on horseback, The best you can do is the best you can do. Gut it out, make progress, stay alive, and provide for your family and your friends and your people 
better than the people who came before you. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to take that Winnebago with you, but you are going to be able to leave something for the people who come after. So that's probably enough pontificating for today. If you've got questions, thoughts, comments, or concerns, or you've got an idea that you'd like to hear me rant about, you could send us a quick email at info at apg.team. And if you'd like to see what we're up to at APG, you can check out our website, www.apg.team, where you can also sign up for our Tuesday tip of the week, which comes out every, hmm, yes, Tuesday. And if you like what we're putting out, feel free to share it with your friends, because as we always say, the world needs hitters. So... As the sun sets slowly in the east, we'll leave you with a well-suited Russian proverb. A great wind will give you either an inspiration or a headache. that you are not.